Today on Blue 58, Joe Barry is going to be in Green Bay for the remainder of this season. Who else can we turn to for help on defense? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode. Our last episode before Christmas 2023. I hope you've got your holiday shopping done. We're still finishing up. It just happens every single year. We're getting right there. But if you're thinking about things you might want to do this charity and holiday season, kind of spoiled it there by saying charity right ahead of there, but we're going to leave it in and just say, don't forget to donate if you'd like to our charity fundraiser this year featuring Aaron Jones, A&A, All the Way Foundation. Click the banner at thepowersweep.com for all the information, but an update for you. We have nearly crossed the $1,500 mark in terms of money raised. Last year, we were just over $1,600. So with about 10 days to go, we are closing in on where we want to be in terms of uh, our, our donation. Um, well, I guess our donation target really just try to do more than the previous year. We, I think, can do that this year. And there are prizes in it for you if you are one of the people uh, lucky enough to get selected from among the donors this year. But we appreciate everybody who donates, no matter what dollar figure uh, you're able to contribute this year. There's no pressure. Put the suggested donation at 10 bucks, but really anything you want to contribute to Aaron Jones Foundation is fantastic and uh, just helps us recognize some of the great contributions of one of the recent good guys in Packers history. Also wanted to make a note of a couple roster moves. The Packers have designated Luke Musgrave to return from injured reserve. He now shares that designation with Emmanuel Wilson and Luke Tenuta. All that means is they are in the 21-day window where they can practice, and then the Packers will eventually have to make a decision as to whether or not they want to add them to the active roster. Pretty interesting to see Musgrave making the uh, making the jump here after a lacerated kidney. That never gets less painful to say, though I imagine uh, the memory for him is a little bit more uh, painful than it is for us just thinking about how he got hurt. Uh, we didn't have to deal with it if you're just a, a podcaster like me, but uh, remarkable to see him even get that designation. Hopefully he can make it all the way back. Just would be fun to see him on the field with an increasingly, I guess, involved and successful uh, Tucker Craft on offense at well, as well, giving us a little bit of a glimpse of the future at tight end. But in any case, all three of those guys may be an option yet for the, the Packers yet this season. Tenuta, kind of a very quiet story for the Packers this year. They've been interested in him for a long time now. If he could get back and play at all, I think it would be helpful for the Packers to get a, a look at where he's at in terms of their evaluation for him going into next year, because that's something we can't forget. A lot of what is going to happen for this part of the season is about evaluating for next year. Futures contracts for some of these guys, uh, just retention for some of these guys that their their contracts are going to be expiring that all factors in here, whether the Packers make the playoffs or not. So keep that in the back of your mind as you see some of these roster moves happening over the final few weeks of the regular season. So who is going to save the Packers defense? I don't know if I'm just more aware of it because of, well, seeing it a couple different places, but I've been reading a couple books, been watching a few movies that have all incorporated one of my favorite fictional tropes lately. It's that point in the book or the movie where the protagonists realize they're in a bad way. And the thing that they thought was going to be their saving grace, the tool that they use to get out of whatever situation they find themselves in, is not going to work. And so they have to sit down, or maybe on the fly, 
basically say, what are our options here? Who can get us out of this situation? What do we have to do with what we have available to fix what we're going through right now? And maybe just because it's top of mind, or maybe it's top of mind just because it's the thing I've read most recently, but I'm, I'm working through Lord of the Rings again, which is always a fun activity. I find that I get new stuff out of it every time I go through it. But one of my favorite examples comes from that book. Frodo, Sam, Mary, Pippin get out of the Shire. Following Gandalf's instructions, they make their way to the village of Bree. And the idea is they're going to meet Gandalf there. They've had a rough time getting there. Trees attacking them. A couple guys getting stuck inside the tree. You meet Tom Bombadil, whatever's going on there. Uh, you get chased by black riders. You're not even really sure what those things are. And then at least you get to Bree and you say, all right, Gandalf will be there. Then he'll help us figure out what we're going to do next. Except as you know, if you've seen the movie, if you've read the books, they show up. Gandalf is not there. What do we do now? And how they figure out you know, what to do next. Make new allies, draw on new things, figure out new things about themselves. I think it's, a, it's what makes fiction good because you're exploring things that are true about people. You're diving into what people do in tough situations and that's, that's interesting. So the Packers kind of find themselves in that sort of situation. They know that they need the defense to be better if they want to salvage this season. They know that we're not going to get another coordinator who's going to fix things right now. Maybe that's something we can talk about in the future. But as of right now, it's got to be the guys that are in the room. And it's not going to be anybody coming up off the practice squad or coming in as a free agent who's going to change things in time to make any kind of difference. If the Packers are going to make the playoffs, still a possibility, though a remote one. It has to be somebody they've already got on the roster. They have to get better performances or maybe just more from a few of these guys if they're really going to make an impact here. So who are those guys? I think there are five of them, and I'll tell you why I came to that list as we kind of talk our way through all this stuff. But what we're going to do in terms of talking about these guys is, is make our selections, announce who they are on defense, explain why we think they're a candidate for this, and then what they need to do to really help the Packers do whatever it is they're going to do on defense between now and the end of the season. If they're going to help the Packers get to the playoffs, what do they need to do? There will be a few things for each of these players, maybe just a couple really simple things, but each of them has things that they can do to help the Packers get to that point. So who are these players? First on our list is Devontae Wyatt. We got a question um, from regular question asker Carl Anderson in our Discord server when I was talking about uh, the Packers' resources on defense in the last episode that were maybe a little bit underperforming, he thought it interesting that I didn't mention Devontae Wyatt. That was an astute question because we didn't bring him up, and I think it's been taken as a matter of course in some corners of Packers' discourse that maybe Devontae Wyatt has not been one of the Packers' bright spots on defense, but I think actually he has been. I would refer you to evidence for that, uh, to the column I published today or yesterday, Thursday, put it that way, at thepowersweep.com and on Patreon and on our Substack for subscribers and supporters in those places. Uh, but basically a new tool for us to look at the defense, uh, a charting of both pressure rate and stop rate. So pressures are something that we talk about a lot. You get pressures in the passing game. It's basically how many pressures you get divided by how many pass rushes you are on the field for. That gives you the rate at which you accrue pressures. And the higher the rate, the better that is. There's a related stat called stop rate, which um, talks about or, or assesses how often you get stops 
based on how many run plays you are on the field for. So this comes from Pro Football Focus. We're just publishing the Packers-specific versions of those stats. A stop is how often you stop the opposing runner from being successful on a given run play. There are certain amounts of yards that you are analytically expected to get on a given play that would deem that play a success. 40% of the yards required to gain on first down merits a success, 60% on second down, and 100% on third or fourth down. So if you get a stop in that situation and it's a run play, you divide that by the number of run snaps that you play, you get stop rate. I've charted both those together. This is not unique to me, but I think it's a useful tool for talking about how well the Packers' defense is playing. And wouldn't you know it, the best performer overall, the highest combined pressure rate and stop rate, is Devontae Wyatt. He's getting a pressure on more than 14% of his pass rushes, which for comparison puts him second on the team behind only Rashawn Gary at 15.43%. But Wyatt is also getting a stop on nearly 9% of the run snaps he's on the field floor, 8.87%. So that's not like an overwhelming number. He's not some stud run defender, not like not an elite run stuffer or anything like that, but that is the best combined number of anybody on the Packers. And if you look at the chart, Devontae Wyatt is up there all the way by himself in terms of his combined pressure rate and stop rate. So what the Packers need from him, you know, understanding that he hasn't been one of the, like, not like a super duper elite run stopper, but one of the Packers' better ones is just more. That's really what we asked for at the start of the season from Devontae Wyatt versus last year. We just wanted to see more of him. Now just give us more of what you've been giving us already. He's clearly one of the Packers' best two or three defensive linemen. He's, in terms of just the the metrics, uh, the like the rate stuff, he's outperforming Kenny Clark, actually. Clark has some better volume stats, better counting stats, but in terms of getting pressures and in terms of uh, creating stops in the run game, uh, he he outperforms Clark's at Clark in those areas, al- allowing for the possibility that they're getting blocked differently and used differently and all of those sorts of things. We just need Devontae Wyatt to continue to do what he's been doing. Incidentally, some of these numbers lead me to believe that it's really probably not the fault of the defensive line. By and large, the Packers' run game hasn't, or run defense hasn't been great. To the extent that it is the, the problem, a problem up front, it's probably just an issue of depth because... Kenny Clark, Devontae Wyatt, and TJ Slayton, their best three defensive linemen, can't play every play. But that's something that we knew going into the season. We knew that those guys would be the Packers' best three defensive linemen. That has held true this season. And we knew that beyond them, there were going to be pretty significant question marks, especially in the run game. And wouldn't you know it, that's basically where we end up this year. But given some of the numbers that we see from the Packers' defensive line, I really am fairly convinced that it's not the defensive line that causes issues on the ground. It's just a matter of the guys behind them being a little bit inconsistent and maybe being asked to do some things that don't really align with their skills all that well, or maybe they just are not capable of answering the bell in the same way before. So really all that to say, we just need to continue to get more and more from Devontae Wyatt, who has shown that he is a a worthy first round pick here. Uh, in the latter stages of of year two. He's really showing why the Packers wanted him in the first round of of 2022. The second guy on our list is TJ Slayton, and I bring him up because he too has been a little bit under the radar, I think, in terms of Packers coverage uh, on defense. He's proved to be the Packers' best run stopper by a wide margin. Now, on a rate basis, uh, Devontae Wyatt is pretty close to him, but 
in terms of just raw stops, Slayton is by far the Packers' most outstanding defensive lineman just in terms of getting to the ball and recording a stop. Nobody does it at the volume that he does, which is great because that is his exact role on the Packers' defense. And incidentally, as it pertains to both Wyatt and Slayton, it is hard to say good things about the Packers' defense, but I think this is where we need to do our job as fans trying to, to educate ourselves and look beyond the overall feeling about the defense. The overall vibe about the defense is bad, and it's understandable that it would be so. There's really no reason to pretend like the Packers' defense is better than it is or that it hasn't been a disappointment or that basically anything along those lines. We don't need to to pretend that this is some secretly good defense, but that doesn't mean that everybody on the defense is is playing bad. There are some guys that are having if not good seasons, better seasons than the overall sum of the defense. The parts are better than the sum, I guess, in some ways, which I think has been basically the broad criticism of Joe Barry for years now. But Slayton is really doing the job that we need him to do. And really, like Devontae Wyatt, they just need him to keep it up and count on the guys behind him to make more plays in the ground game and in the pass. Just as a a thought question, if you haven't looked at the numbers, how much do you think T.J. Slayton is playing in a given game? I was surprised by this, so it would probably be more than you would guess if it got me. I would assume that you're probably in the same boat as well because I don't think there's a lot of people just talking about T.J. Slayton's playing time. But he has played fewer than 60% of the snaps in a given game just six times this year, and he's been under 50% just two times. So, I think the Packers really just need to commit to those top three guys they have, Clark, Wyatt, and Slayton, and just let those be your guys going forward. Maybe you end up in more of a a traditional 3-4 look, but if that's what you got to do, I think that is the strategy here to get your best guys on the field. These are their three best guys, and you really see it in some of the, the numbers from the younger guys in Wyatt and Slayton. The third guy is someone who I feel is is pretty obvious, but he needs to step up for the Packers in a in a pretty specific way, and that's Quay Walker. So Quay catches my attention here because on the one hand, he's been better over the course of the year than I think maybe even I was talking about him earlier this year, but he's he's been steadily improving, I think, over the course of the year. And improvement this year or not, he's been significantly better, I think, than he was last year. But on top of that, there is just nobody like him on the Packers' defense. In terms of athleticism, it's basically him and Rashawn Gary, pound for pound, Devontae Wyatt, I think, is up there too. But there's no athlete on the Packers' defense that has the the combination of size and speed that Walker does. He is just a unique athlete on the Packers' defense. Gary, of course, a uniquely athletic prospect, but in a, I think kind of at a different way. The other thing about Walker is that there's nobody with those attributes. Maybe you find another athlete on the Packers who's comparable to Walker, but they're not good enough to play at the rate at which he does. He's up there among the, the leaders in snaps each and every week. He's going to finish the season probably top two or three in terms of overall snaps played, at least maybe adjusting for injury. He's going to be right up there at the top regardless, though. He, he just plays a lot. There's nobody who's as athletic as he is, who's playing as much as he is. And he also has value in all three phases of the defense. He's valuable in coverage, he's valuable as a pass rusher, and he's valuable in run defense, if not because he's good in those areas, and I think he is, but also just because he's on the field and can contribute in all three of those areas. Nobody else on the Packers can do that the same way that Quay Walker is. Nobody in the defensive front is going to be asked to do those things. 
We've all had jokes about Preston Smith being in coverage. He shouldn't be doing that anyway. Quay Walker, that's part of his job, but he does it in a way that is different than than other people's. There's nobody uh, in the secondary who's as good against the run as Walker is against the pass. And of course, as a pass rusher, nobody in the secondary is going to compare to what he can do. He He can get after the passer if he has to. So I think really where he needs to contribute for the Packers to really turn things around on defense, and I'm saying turn things around a little bit tongue-in-cheek here because I don't think we're really expecting a marked turnaround for the Packers' defense here. But if there there is going to be an improvement, one way that Quay Walker could really help that improvement is by making plays on the ball. We talk about ball hawks a lot on this podcast. It's one of our goofy signature stats. Is it kind of made up? Yeah, but all stats are kind of make up, made up. But plays on the ball matter. Making plays on the ball, you know, getting after the passer, forcing fumbles, getting interceptions, defending the pass, those things are all important. And if you can do those things more, chances are you're a more valuable defender than somebody who can't do them as much. If you look at what the Packers have done overall in terms of their ball hawk numbers, by and large, the team is pretty comparable to where they were last year. They're not as good as they were in 2021, uh, Joe Barry's first season with the Packers, but they're they're probably going to be right in line with where they were in 2022, which overall is a pretty good season by those those numbers. Uh, just as an aside, generally speaking, I would suspect this is the case league-wide, but the Packers ball hawks over the past decade or so have trailed off fairly dramatically. An average season among the early years of um, Dom Capers on defense had the Packers getting like between 160 and 175 ball hawks a year. Since, what was it, 2016, they haven't gotten more than 152 in a season. It's been fewer than that each and every year and basically steadily declining. I think that's just how it's just how the, the league is going here, just relying on getting plays on the ball in on defense to, to buoy your defense is not a winning strategy anymore. And that's part of the reason I think the game really passed Dom Capers by. But you can't rely on those things. You just can't you can't succeed. It's just not going to happen for you. That aside aside, the Packers are basically in line with what we've seen from the Joe Barry defenses in terms of making plays on the ball, except this season for one significant area. The Packers linebackers have dramatically fallen off over the past couple of years in terms of how many plays they're making. Last year, between Quay Walker and Devondre Campbell, linebackers accounted for 18 and a half of the Packers' 126 ball hawks on the season. This year, between Walker, Campbell, and Isaiah McDuffie, they've accounted for just five. So if they're going to turn things around on defense, one thing that they could benefit from is Quay Walker getting into position to make more plays on the ball, either in coverage or as a pass rusher. Basically, they just need more splash plays from him. The big knock on A.J. Hawk, to really go back in time here, over his time with the Packers is that, yeah, he piled up a bunch of tackles, but most of those tackles were a ways downfield and he never really made plays on the ball. No sacks, no forced fumbles, no interceptions, or at least I'd say no. It wasn't none. It wasn't as much as it probably should have been for a linebacker drafted as highly as he he was. I fear that if there's going to be a knock on Quay Walker, it could be that kind of same thing. He does pile up a lot of tackles. He does frequently make plays at or behind the line of scrimmage in the run game. However, you need a little bit more from that if you really want a guy to be a plus linebacker, and that's where Walker, I think, has fallen a little bit short this year. I know it's not all his fault, and I know there have been times when he has made plays on the ball, but when those opportunities are there, you got to make them, and that would be a big step forward for the Packers' defense. Not, again, that 
relying on plays on the ball is a sustainable way to grow your defense in 2023. But uh, you, you got to have something. There's got to be more than what the Packers have been getting from their linebackers, and Quay Walker is the obvious place for the Packers to start. Interestingly, the next guy on my list is Isaiah McDuffie, and I include him here because he's the only, I feel like he's one of the only real non-starters who has shown growth on the Packers' defense this year. Pretty much everybody else who's been a big part of the Packers' defense has been someone basically expected to be there from the get-go. With the possible exception of Carrington Valentine and possibly Corey Valentine, who I don't think has played particularly well, but Valentine I think falls into that camp. But other than those guys, McDuffie's really been the only one who's shown any kind of growth from, I think, where we thought he was previously. So I think it's reasonable to expect for him to play a bigger role over the remainder of the season, given what the Packers seem to be going through with Devondre Campbell a little bit here. He's had some pointed comments about how he's been criticized this year, this week on social media, and then doesn't want to talk about those things when people follow up in the locker room to the extent that the Packers have just given him a little bit of time off. Not necessarily injury-related, though possibly injury-related. In the meantime, it looks like we'll probably see more of the Quay Walker-Isaiah McDuffie combo on the field. So let's see what he can do in a bigger role. Let's let him play a bigger role, and let's see what he can do over the remainder of the season. You never know what you can find. Maybe there's been a diamond in the rough on the Packers linebacker depth chart this whole time. Finally, this is not a defensive player, but it's someone I think can help the defense. And it's a conversation we're probably going going to have about this guy regardless at some point if he becomes what the Packers hope he can be. I've beat around the bush long enough. It's Jordan Love. He comes to mind for me as a guy the Packers can count on to or maybe not count on, but turn to to rescue their defense. Because I've been thinking, or I had the thought this week, that, man, Jordan Love is close to a lot of the stuff that has basically befallen Aaron Rodgers over his time in Green Bay. He is close to the Aaron Rodgers trap of just having to be so good because the defense is bad in ways that will consistently let you down over the course of a season. But that means that there is potential for Jordan Love to also save the Packers' defense. We saw that for Aaron Rodgers, year after year after year, Aaron Rodgers succeeding despite an underwhelming defense in Green Bay. Maybe that's Jordan Love's lot in life as well. He basically has to be better than the defense is bad week in and week out. And I'm encouraged about Jordan Love from that respect because I think earlier in the season when the defense was playing better, there were times when we talked about him not being able to do that. It's the uh, the the ammunition for the Joe Barry is playing well enough or Joe Barry's defense is playing well enough for the Packers to win discussion. When Jordan Love and the Packers defense or Packers offense was scoring, you know, 16, 20, 17 points a game early in the year, I'm thinking like, the Raiders game, the Broncos game, stuff like that. And the the defense was holding the opponents to 17, 19, 20 points a game, and the Packers were losing. You wondered if Jordan Love could play well enough to at least match what the defense was giving them. Now I feel pretty confident, like, it's not Jordan Love carrying the Packers, but Jordan Love and the offense playing well enough that they at least have the opportunity to overcome what the defense is doing. But now if the Packers are really going to make a push here, they need him to be the kind of player that Aaron Rodgers was for a long time. Be better than the defense is bad. 
And I think it's time again and again, we've said this this year, it's time to just turn Jordan Love loose. You've got Jaden Reed playing well. You've got Dontavian Wicks continuing to emerge. You've got Tucker Craft playing better than before. You've got Romeo Dobbs, who finally seems to have settled in, into a role that suits his skills and abilities. You've got Christian Watson potentially on the way back here in the relatively near future. You've got Aaron Jones, at least healthier than he's been, if not completely healthy. There's a complement of players around Jordan Love. And I think it's just time to lean on what Jordan Love does best and let him cook a little bit. Let him be the kind of mid-range assassin that he's shown that he can be this year. Yeah, he sometimes does miss the layups. Yeah, he doesn't really have a deep ball. But he's got the the arm angles, the accuracy, the anticipation to make some of those spectacular mid-range throws when he has to have them. So maybe just let him do those things as much as he possibly can. The RPO game is there or has been a little bit more over the past couple of weeks. You've got some mid-range threats in Reed and Wicks and Dobbs and Kraft. Let him attack that 8 to 15 yards downfield area of the field and see what he can do and see what the Packers' offense can cook up. It really seems like the offense is going to have to save the defense at this point. Fortunately, there's not really any like ultra-high-scoring offenses between now and the end of the season. There are some offenses that could potentially make the Packers pay. It does seem like the Vikings could do that at home in Minnesota. You never know. If Justin Fields can play like Tommy DeVito, well, there's a trap game to be had there in Week 18. As a side note, the thing that I want least is to get to Week 18 and to have a situation where the Bears could conceivably play spoiler here. I just don't want to have to beat the Bears in Week 18 and have the chance for a NFC North opponent to end the Packers season in a almost win-and-you're-in situation here for the second year in a row. I just don't want to have to deal with that. And so let's make sure that we can play well in Week 18, and really that is just going to start with with Jordan Love on top of these other guys on on defense playing better than they have. Now, as I compiled this list, I realized that there's nobody in the secondary. Why is that? I thought about this, and I, I wondered if I should include somebody in the secondary just to have somebody back there. But after going back and forth on it, I don't think I should. Because I don't think there's anybody at corner or in the, in the safety room that can either raise their game or increase their role in a way that moves the needle for the Packers with the possible exception of Jair Alexander. And he doesn't seem like he quite fits what's going on here just because, well, we know what you can get from Jair Alexander. And maybe just him getting back to that is what the Packers need. And saying he needs to play better is fair because even prior to his injuries this year, he was not the player that he was even in 2022. So maybe he should be on that list there. But generally speaking, unless we know that he's coming back for sure, I don't know if there's anybody else. You could talk about Eric Stokes kind of in that same boat getting back to where he was, but we're talking about that level of play being nearly two years old at this point. We're talking about a guy who's, who apparently wasn't in football shape last week again, which is fair and legit. He hasn't played in a football game in over a year, so why would he be in football shape? But, man, there just isn't a lot there in the secondary and it feels almost surprising to say that at this point, and it would feel more surprising if it didn't seem like that was something we were saying in like July either. There just isn't a lot. There wasn't a lot behind Jair Alexander and Rasul Douglas when we started the season. There still isn't a lot there now that Jair is hurt and Rasul Douglas is gone, even with Eric Stokes back in the lineup. 
It just is a, it's a limited group. And sometimes that's just the reality. Sometimes your group is limited and you can't count on them to bail you out when you need it. The Packers need them to bail them out right now. There's just nothing else that can really, really go their way. I wanted to mention a couple guys on the uh, the Panthers, really, as we close out the game here. One guy on offense, two guys on defense that I think could cause problems for the Packers here. Uh, the first guy I want to mention on offense is not somebody who's necessarily going to cause anybody any problems here, but I think it is worth having a, a brief discussion on Bryce Young. My takeaway looking at what Bryce Young has done so far this season for the Panthers is this. If I were the general manager of the Houston Texans, the last thought in my mind every night before my head hit the pillow and my closed my eyes would be thanking the Lord in heaven that the Panthers drafted Bryce Young and not C.J. Stroud. I mean, if I'm the general manager there, I'm thinking no matter what C.J.'s, no, no matter what else I do, C.J. Stroud being what he looks like here as a rookie is going to get me five years of job security no matter what. Because we can always just say, well, we've got to build around C.J. more. And if I keep showing that I'm doing that even a little bit, I, I mean, I've got a job for half a decade at least. And if he turns out to be really good in a couple of the other, these other picks here, I might be set forever. If I get to 10 years as a GM, I, I'm going to have more money than I'm going to ever know what to do with. Thank you, Lord, that the Carolina Panthers drafted Bryce Young and not C.J. Stroud. Because if you look at what Young has done this year, and there, there are mitigating factors, I know. The, the coaching situation was not great in Carolina. They've already made a change. The talent level around him is not great. It doesn't look like they're going to, well, they, they do have plenty of picks. They should have that at least. But it doesn't look like they're in line to you know, make world-changing picks, especially with their, their first overall pick belonging to the Chicago Bears. It would be nice maybe if you could get a Marvin Harrison Jr. to pair with your young quarterback, but that ship has sailed. But even with all those you know, extenuating circumstances around Young, he just hasn't been good. Has he been good in the counting stats? No. Nine touchdowns and nine interceptions in 13 games, completing just under 60% of his passes. He's taken 51 sacks. It's not good. Has he been good in the advanced stats? No. Uh, in 13 games that he's played this year, he's had just two graded above 70 by pro football focus. Is he at least doing interesting things with the ball? Also, no. Because is he throwing deep? No, he's got an average depth of target of six and a half yards. Is he at least throwing accurately, though? Also, no. 67.9% of his throws have been on target, and 80% have been deemed catchable by Sports Information Solutions. Just for comparison, Jordan Love, not exactly a paragon of accuracy this year, has thrown 71.8% of his passes on target, and nearly 84% of his passes have been deemed catchable. He's been better than... Young by a substantial degree, and I don't think anybody would really argue that Love has been a particularly accurate passer so far this year. So if nothing else, the Packers should have a quarterback they can pick on a little bit this week, except for the fact that we've just seen Tommy DeVito and Baker Mayfield, both of whom might be as good or better than than Young right now, pick on the Packers' defense a little bit over the past couple weeks. Still, you would think, you would think, you could hope you would pray that they could at least make things difficult for Bryce Young this week. On defense, I want to mention Brian Burns and Derek Brown. Burns we talk about frequently as a comparison for Rashawn Gary, who the Packers, well, the Packers took Gary, what was it, 12th overall, 13th overall in 2019. 
And then Brian Burns was taken a few picks later by the Carolina Panthers, so there's always been a little bit of a comparison between the two. Burns has fewer sacks in a season than Rashawn Gary for the first time in their respective careers. He's still outpacing Gary significantly in, in the overall like total sacks category. But Gary might have had 15 sacks last year prior to his injury, so that, that comes with a little bit of a grain of salt. His pressure rate is a comparably disappointing for him, 11.5% this year, which is lower than Rashawn Gary as well. Gary is looking like the better player than Burns really for their first time in their combined um, careers. It's different circumstances. You can't really make a one-to-one comparison between the two. Burns just happens to have been the next guy off the board. Still, it's been an interesting conversation. I think the bigger part of it for Burns right now is this is a tough place to be for a guy in line for a contract extension. Still, he is the, the, the Panthers' most dangerous, I'd think, pass rusher. Certainly the guy who's going to garner the most uh, attention and uh, worth paying attention to if you are a Packers fan. The other guy I would keep a close eye on is defensive lineman Derek Brown. As much, Packers, as, much as the Packers have had a pretty solid, I think, overall offensive line in terms of pass blocking, if there's, a, if there's a weakness, it's center and right guard. That interior offensive line has been vulnerable this year. And where is Derek Brown coming? right up the middle, center and right guard more than likely. Getting pressure on about 8.4% of his pass rushes this year. He's been solid against the run, and he is the Panthers' overall best-graded defender. So if I was marking my roster sheet, he's the other guy that I would watch on defense for the Packers this year. But again, as has really been the case all season, this game and every game the rest of the way is just all about the Packers. It's not about what these opposing teams are going to do because the Packers should be able to beat the Panthers, the Vikings, and the Bears. It's just the question of doing it three in a row and really just doing it. The Packers have not consistently shown that they can beat the teams that they're supposed to beat this year. This is an opportunity to do that, and they'll get another one next week and another one the week after that. The Packers should be able to beat these teams. Can they do it? If they can't, well... Deserve never really has much to do with it in the NFL, but I think they'll show that they do not deserve to make the playoffs, and it'll just about take care of things in terms of their chances of making the playoffs if they do lose to the Panthers. That's all I've got for you on this episode of Blue 58. I appreciate tuning in. I'd appreciate it even more if you'd take a second and share this episode with someone you think will enjoy it. It's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved with this conversation you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58. Oh, and one more thing, now that I've got you back here after I've done my whole sign-off. It is Christmas this weekend. And just as a programming note, I'm not planning to jump right back in the studio after the Packers game on Sunday. I'm expecting to give this fairly minimal attention during the day. I'll watch, but I'm not going to be like dialed in and like really trying to make sure that we get every nugget of this game on Christmas Eve because it's Christmas Eve and I'm going to take time and be with my family. I would encourage you to do the same as much as you are able. The second half of 2023 has just been I don't want to say brutal for us. Everybody goes through stuff, but it just seems like one thing after another. We've been sick as a family a whole bunch. We've I had COVID for a whole month, basically. It was six weeks of symptoms there. Um, I lost my grandmother. We've had other family stuff going on, just headaches and, you know, just the annoying things that you deal with as a family. Just, it seems like relentlessly, this back half of 2020. 
23. So around the holidays, I'm going to try to take it as, as easy as possible, still keep podcasts and stuff coming out. But we're not going to make it a priority to, to make sure that we get an episode out on Christmas Eve. It's Christmas the next day. I'm going to take time to be with my family. I hope you can do the same as well. Have fun watching the Packers, sure. But rest, enjoy time with your family, eat good food. Give somebody a really good gift and be grateful for whatever it is that you get. Just have a good time. Have a nice time as much as you are able. If if you're unfortunate enough to have to be working on Christmas Eve or Christmas, I, I really feel for you. I hope you're able to find some time where you can have some rest and quiet and peace around Christmas too, because I know it's a hectic, hectic time of the year. And I know that anything going on with family can have a whole bunch of feelings tied up in it that are not necessarily good. I get that. And my hope for you, my prayer for you this time of year is that you can just have, have time to rest and reflect and be quiet um, as much as you are able and celebrate as much as you are able if that's something that you want to do as as well. So enjoy your time. Just wanted to give you a heads up about the podcast situation. Again, really appreciate you tuning in with Blue 58 and the Power Sweep this year. Um, we've got a whole additional week of 2023 next week, of course. But, um, you know, as we sit down around the the holiday season here, just wanted to make sure I mentioned that before Christmas. To sign off again, thank you. Have a Merry Christmas. We'll see you sometime after Christmas, hopefully Tuesday. Maybe it'll be a Boxing Day episode of Blue 58. But uh, have a wonderful Christmas. Uh, Get some rest. Relax. If nothing else, have a great cup of hot chocolate or something like that. Relax, rest. We'll see you soon.